Hi, everyone. I'm Kyle Bechet, and this is the AAF Exchange, a podcast from the American Action Forum, where experts provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic policy issues. Welcome, and thank you for tuning in. I have a plan for Medicare for All. The plan that Senator Sanders and I and others support Medicare for All is how you get to single payer. Now here's how I would do it. It's very similar. I would call it Medicare for All Who Want It. Then it will be a very natural glide path to the single payer environment. We will have Medicare for All when tens of millions of people are prepared to stand up and tell the insurance companies and the drug companies that their day is gone, that health care is a human right. You just heard a number of current and former presidential candidates arguing for Medicare for All in one form or another, including the senators Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, who are perhaps the most vocal proponents of this policy. But why is Medicare for All at the center of the presidential campaign right now? And what would happen if it gets enacted? My name is Andrew Evans, and I'm your host for today's podcast episode. Today, I'm talking with Christopher Holt, the Director of Healthcare Policy here at the American Action Forum. Chris, thanks for taking the time. Thanks for having me. Let's start with the political element. What's driving the popularity of Medicare for All right now? So it's an interesting question, um, especially at this moment, because I'm not sure that Medicare for All is as popular as we've thought that it has been. Um, whether, In fact, it seems like it may be decreasing in popularity. Um, but if the question is, what's driving the interest in Medicare for All in the Democratic primary, then I, I think there's really two things that are going on. Um, one is just generally, I think, um, a frustration on the part of Democrats that the Affordable Care Act didn't cover all Americans, right? That, that, that there's still roughly 28, 30 million uninsured Americans. So that, that's part of it. Um, and, and then I think um, among among Democrat primary voters and among, among sort of that progressive part of the Democrat electorate, uh, there is just this sense that it's a responsibility of the government to take care of this. So it's more than just making sure everyone has coverage. It's a desire to have the government do it. I'm interested in this in this failure of the Affordable Care Act that you mentioned. Uh, we know that some people are still uninsured. That's a well-known fact. Uh, the Affordable Care Act didn't cover everybody. Uh, but can you just sort of break down for us what's the nature of the problem more precisely that Medicare for All is trying to solve? Yeah, so it's really interesting when you when you actually look at what the insurance, um, the status of, of the uninsured is today, that Medicare for All is probably not a, a very effective solution to that, right? Uh, so before the ACA, there were about 45 million people who were uninsured annually. And, and it is important to know that doesn't mean it was 45 million people who didn't have insurance at all in a calendar year. It means there were 45 million people who at some point during the year did not have insurance coverage. So that is, that is I think, an, an important thing to keep in mind. Uh, to, so in 2016, and the numbers haven't changed a lot, in 2016, there were about 28 million people who were uninsured to that same criteria. Uh, so the, the Affordable Care Act brought down the uninsured rate, but maybe not as dramatically as, as Democrats had hoped. And, and part of the reason was the Supreme Court decision that made the Medicaid expansion that was part of that legislation optional for states. So not all the states took it. And so currently, of the, of the 28 or so million uninsured Americans, um, 
there are about 2.5 million people who are in that Medicaid coverage gap. So people who um, are below 100% of the federal poverty line, line and live in states that didn't expand um, that didn't expand Medicaid. So these would be states like probably predominantly in the South. Texas and Florida controlled. actually are, yeah. are probably the, the yeah. big two. Yeah. Um, so so there's there's that right. Um, and then the others, you know, as you start to look at it, there's about five million people who are eligible for employer-sponsored insurance and just haven't bought it. Okay, so so they're making a choice not to do that. Is that would that just be for financial reasons, or I mean, there could be innumerable reasons why someone decides not not to do that. Um, and particularly in the case of an employer-sponsored insurance, it's probably not really financial uh, a financial um, problem. There's about five and a half million people who are eligible for subsidies through the through the ACA if they purchased individual market coverage to the exchange, who just are choosing not to do that. That may be for um, for financial reasons, at least in part. Um, but but in any case, so those are people who do have access to the coverage that the ACA was seeking to provide, and they aren't and they aren't taking advantage of it. Uh, then there's about two and a half million children who are uninsured, uh, who are eligible for some federal program, whether it's CHIP or, or another kind of federal program. They're just not enrolled. If they if needed the, is that children's the children's health insurance, health insurance program, if they if they needed health care and they went to the hospital, they would get enrolled. The hospital would take care of that. Uh, and then there are about um, four million adults who are eligible for for Medicaid or some other kind of public insur- insurance, and they just aren't signed up. Okay, and then and then last, there's about five hundred and five. Sorry, five hundred five. About five point five million undocumented immigrants. Uh, that is a different policy problem. Um, and and I think it's correct that both Sanders and Warren and their proposals wouldn't cover those people either. Oh, interesting. So okay. so, so really, um, you know, we're talking about taking people who are eligible for care and forcing them into it, right? Uh, and then about two, two, two and a half million people who right now can't get health insurance. Oh, there's one other group. There's about three million people who um, have incomes in excess of 400% of the federal poverty line. Those are people who um, you know, could buy individual market insurance. They don't have an offer of employer-sponsored insurance, but they make so much money that they're not eligible for any kind of subsidies. So, yeah, just to just sort of summarize what you're saying there, it seems like they're of the 25 million people who are uninsured right now, 10% or under 10% of those people are actually the ones that Medicare for All would tangibly be helping by putting them in a, in a different situation where they would now have access to it. Yeah, that, that's correct. Thanks for explaining those numbers. That's really helpful. You mentioned that Medicare for All is perhaps becoming less popular, or and it's just not as popular overall as people tend to think. What do you mean by that? Explain that some more. Yeah. So I, I think if you watched the the history of the debate, uh, when we first started hearing a lot about Medicare for All, there there it was. You know, it, 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 I think they were tying this idea of single payer to Medicare because Medicare in general is very popular and it pulls well. And so, if you can tie into that popularity, then then you can then you can sort of bank on that a little bit, right? And and the reality is that the proposals that are being called Medicare for all aren't don't really have a lot to do with Medicare. They are 
complete elimination of the current healthcare system and putting a new single payer program in. Um, but nonetheless, I think you know we saw polling back in in uh, you know two so Kaiser Family Foundation has done a ton of polling on this. So you go back to say June of 2017, about 59 percent of Americans, not Democrat primary voters, but 59 percent of Americans said that they supported Medicare for all. They thought that was a good idea. Now, if, as we talk about it, when you parse when you parse the specifics, that starts to change. But that was probably, um, or I guess it was 57 percent in in 2017. So that that's close to a high water mark. It stayed relatively stable. Um, in March of 2018, it did get up to about 59 percent. Uh, this year, in March, it was about 57 percent. Kaiser came out with polling last month, showed that now popularity for or support for Medicare for all is about 51 percent. So that's a pretty precipitous decline uh, since it was relatively stable until the earlier part of this year. Uh, and so I think a couple things are happening. Um, I think as the Democratic primary season has has gotten in full in full um, full force, that that there has been a splintering on this messaging. So I think for a while Democrats were really unified around the message of Medicare for all, but not the underlying policy. As Medicare for all has gotten tied to. Sanders and Warren, and specifically to a single-payer system that eliminates employer market insurance and eliminates Medicare, really eliminates individual market insurance, we've seen um, we've, we've seen other Democrats, and especially other Democrats in the primary, start to back away a little bit. So you, you've seen Kamala Harris, for example, kind of every which way, whether or not she supports Medicare for all or not. Um, and more recently, since uh, since Elizabeth Warren has, has released her proposal, uh, a number of the other candidates, uh, Biden comes to mind, have been very aggressive in critiquing Medicare for all. So at the same time that we've seen the popularity of Medicare for all coming down, uh, what Kaiser found is that the popularity of things like like a Medicare buy-in or a, uh, a public option, those are all, again, for all Americans, not just Democrat voters, those are all in the 70s, 70% support for, for those kinds of ideas. Um, so, so it's interesting that Medicare for all is continuing to dominate the, the Democratic primary. Um, I, I, think, I think there's a couple reasons, and this is somewhat speculative, but I still think that you know progressive, the, the progressive segment of the party is really committed to the idea of um, of single payer. Even still, when you ask Democrats who support Medicare, or actually when you ask Americans who support Medicare for all why they support it, about 40% say they support it because they want everyone to have coverage. So, so that's why you're starting to see appeal from uh, for some of these proposals that don't force people into one one program. But nonetheless, I think among Democrat primary voters, there still is the support for this single payer idea. And so that's that's pushing it a little bit. Um, I think the other thing is, is really that Elizabeth Warren in particular and Bernie Sanders as well sort of staked their campaigns on this and have really pushed it. And um, I think it's also interesting that we'll see if this bears out, but at least right now, um, Senator Warren's sort of polling seems to kind of have, have plateaued a little bit uh, at the same time that we're starting to see Medicare for all decrease in popularity among Democratic primary voters. Um, so, so that is, that is going to be interesting to watch as she's tied herself to this. And I think it will show us whether or not uh, Medicare for all as a, as a sort of unifying principle for Democrats to campaign on is going to stay salient. Because it may be that we're starting to see um, Democrats realize maybe we should go a little bit, a little bit um, more narrow. And in fact, um, well, the other thing that Kaiser found was that of, of 
Democrats, uh, 55% of Democrats said that they, they support or they would prefer a candidate who wants to build on the ACA rather than a candidate who wants to pull the ACA apart and, and do something like Medicare for all. That's so interesting. So it seems like as the, the policy is better known and better defined, um, it's the policy debate that's sort of driving down the popularity potentially. That's that's No, I think that that's true. Um, Kaiser did, you know, sort of ask questions, you know, about does this make you more or less um, likely to support Medicare for all and things like eliminating private insurance or wait times or not being able to see a particular doctor and you know, all these kinds of things drove down people's support for Medicare for all, particularly, particularly when people realize that their health insurance might change, they, they become a lot less interested. Let's let's think about a little bit about the the policy aspect of Medicare for all. You mentioned that a Medicare for all policy, which I guess we can just define for the conversation as a the government is paying for everything. The government, it's a, it's a single payer national health plan. Yeah, so a single payer national health care plan. Um, what would be, or sort of, what what is its, uh, its is its relationship to Medicare program? That's sort of the broad question I have. Um, Elizabeth Warren explicitly models her proposal on Medicare. Um, this is what she says: uh, Private insurers had administrative costs of twelve percent of premiums collected in twenty seventeen, uh, while Medicare, in contrast, kept its administrative costs down to two point three percent. So she's drawing this contrast, and she's saying that her plan will be as efficient as Medicare. Saying Medicare is great because it's so efficient. So my question is, is Medicare really that good? Is it, is it as good as people are saying? Is it, um, to put it more specifically, is Medicare well-equipped to solve the problem that Medicare for all is trying to solve? Is it a good model? Yeah. So, so again, I, I think the primary reason that we see people, um, proponents of a single-payer system, targeting the, the idea of Medicare for all is simply because of the built-in goodwill towards Medicare. People people believe Medicare is good. People believe Medicare is cost-effective. You know, people are happy with Medicare. Americans writ large are happy with, with Medicare. Um, so I think that's the primary reason you're seeing the connection being made. Um, the administrative cost one is an interesting one, um, and I don't want to get too far down that rabbit trail. Um, the, the number that she's citing as Medicare uh, Medicare administrative costs comes from the trustees report. Uh, there's, there's a lot of question about what is or isn't included in that. Uh, when the Urban Institute, which is by no means you know, conservative, uh, estimated the cost of Medicare for all, they, they, put, um, they put the administrative costs around 6%. It's kind of consistent with where CBO has, has projected. Um, and, and part of what Warren is doing there and using that 2.3%, that's part of how she's just arguing that she can pay for Medicare for all is, well, I'll get this rather than that 6% that other people are using. I think when we modeled it, we used uh, at least 6%. for uh, We used something like 6% for administrative costs. So I'm not sure how realistic that 2.3% number is. Um, so that that would be the first thing. Okay. What about in terms of, of payments and, and how it pays doctors? I know it pays doctors significantly less. So this is the other way that Warren is, is explicitly tying her proposal to Medicare. And this is where I think most of the time when people talk about Medicare for all, they're, they're t- um, the, the, the thing that's most directly related to Medicare is the payment rates. So, so Warren says that she'll um, tie provider rates to 110% of what Medicare currently pays. And, um, and then she's got the stuff on how she's going to pay 70% of what, or she's going to 
reduce drug costs by 70% from what Medicare pays. That's a little more confusing. Um, but but she is she is tying herself to the to the Medicare payment rates. Uh, and you know, I mean, the the 110% isn't isn't crazy, right? Medicare, I mean, according to the American Hospital Association, Medicare pays about 88% of cost. Um, maybe a little less, maybe 86%. Medicaid pays about 88% of cost. Private insurance pays about 144% of cost. Um, that has shifted over time. It used to be that um, Medicare paid a lot closer to cost and sometimes even over cost. Private insurance paid a lot less than it does now. Um, but so, so you know, th- that number isn't out of line with what cost might be. What about in terms of, of efficiency? I know some people attribute uh, rising healthcare costs in the United States to Medicare fee-for-service, the sort of traditional Medicare that we think of when we think of Medicare. Um, would would uh, a Medicare is Medicare efficient uh, in terms of of how it uses care and how its care is distributed throughout the population? If to put it that way, yeah. So so maybe a, another way to get at what you're talking about is to think about um, the fiscal sustainability of Medicare right now. Um, and so we can just look at the last trustees report, the, the Medicare trustees um, report annually on on the financial outlook for Medicare. And in the 2019 trustees report, they informed us that the hospital trust fund will be bankrupt by 2026. Um, Medicare's cost shortfall in um, in uh, 2018 was $363 billion. So Medicare spent $740 billion and it took in, in, in both payroll taxes and premiums, about $377 billion. Uh, so there's, there's a substantial shortfall. Um, it represented 46% of our of our deficit in 2018. Um, so, so Medicare's not exactly on a sustainable you know, course as it is. Um, since the program was enacted, there's been a cash shortfall of about $5.1 trillion. Uh, and, and we make up for that by simply borrowing revenue from other federal revenues. Uh, and, and so that has an effect on the rest of the federal budget. Um, I think, I think, uh, I think according to the trustees, the actual, I don't say it this way, but if you parse their numbers, the actual contribution of Medicare to the national debt is about a third. It's about 33% of the wow. national okay. debt is is Medicare. Um, so, so I do think it's problematic to tie um, a future federal program to Medicare in that sense, right? right? The idea that we can expand Medicare to just encompass everyone is just kind of ridiculous. It seems like there are two sides to that efficiency question, though. One is that Maybe we're just not taxing people enough. We're just not being honest about the costs, and we're not taxing enough. The other side would be the costs of the program are rising um, unsustainably and, and rapidly. It, it, is can we? Is it possible to see which side where the problem lies? Whether it lies in just not taxing enough, or whether the program's costs are actually rising rapidly? Um, so I, I mean, I think objectively, right? We we aren't bringing in enough revenue to cover the expenditures. Um, Medicare is is targeting you know elderly population. There's a lot of reasons why Medicare costs are increasing, in, in, including the fact that uh, we're seeing the baby boomers retire with fewer people paying into these things. So, uh, so there's a lot of just demographic issues that are driving some of this. Um, medical technology is getting more expensive. This is something that we see in the rest of the healthcare system too, and we would have to have to think about how we would handle in a national system, right? Uh, but medical technology, so medications, medical devices, procedures. 
procedures, all of that is getting more expensive. Uh, people are living longer. We are able to treat and in some cases cure things that used to just kill people. Um, and, and so all of this is driving increased utilization of healthcare and it's making healthcare more expensive. Um, that's clearly a problem in Medicare that has a has an older population, but it's going to be a problem anywhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Seems like most of those are not structural to Medicare, though. No. Yeah. Okay. That's helpful. Um, I want to think a little bit about the impact. Um, what you know? What what kind of kinds of impacts would you see beyond more people being insured? What kind of impacts would you see from uh, implementing Medicare for all in the abstract? Yeah. So. I mean, very speculative, um, but but I think also I would ju- I would just say I don't think uh, if, if we're just I don't think Medicare for all is viable. Um, I don't think Medicare for all is viable in the first term of a of a President Warren. I'm not sure that it's viable this decade. I just don't think the American people are there. Um, so politically viable. Yeah, know. yeah. It's just I, and I don't think I don't think Democrats are unified around that. So so I think if you if you actually had a scenario where we were talking about implementing policy, uh, we would we would end up talking about something short of Medicare for all. Uh, it's just it's just not a realistic objective. Um, you know, that said, I think um, the kind of system that Senator Sanders is talking about, that Senator Warren is talking about, doesn't actually look like a lot of other single payer systems in the world. Uh, you know, most single payer systems still have roles for private insurance. They 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 tend to have more regional variation, regional control. Um, they're they're not nearly as sort of top down, one one size fits all, federally man, managed and mandated. Um, so the, the the best the best comparison is probably to what they're proposing is probably the British um, NHS, which is popular in Britain. But when you look at the differences between their system and ours, there are huge access issues, delays for treatment, um, decisions. Made, you know, there, so rationing happens in healthcare to one way, to one degree or another, no matter how healthcare is structured. But very clear government rationing of care. Um, you know. The kinds of treatments that are available in the United States are just either not available at all in Great Britain or they come to Great Britain much later. Um, And and so in general, I think people would be looking at longer wait times, um, harder time getting, so a harder time getting into to access healthcare, uh, fewer innovative treatments uh, in the long run, particularly if we're going to reduce drug costs to the degree that Senator Warren thinks, um, you're going to see less innovation. So there will be fewer new treatments. Um, and, and so just in general, I would say access and quality over the long run would decline. That's helpful. Thanks. One last question for you. Bernie Sanders said at a debate back in July that the function of the healthcare system today is not to provide high quality healthcare to everybody. The function is to provide, and you can just totally imagine him saying this, the function is to provide billions in profits, I think he said, to insurance companies. Um, would Medicare for all eliminate the profit motive from the healthcare sector, and is this a good thing? Uh, well, yeah, so I, I think as long as there are private companies in healthcare, you're not going to eliminate. Um, profit motive. You can certainly constrain the ability to obtain profit, um, and and like realistically, a lot of hospitals are at least at least um, definitionally are nonprofit. There are nonprofit insurers, so there are nonprofit actors in the healthcare space. Uh, the danger in uh, in in making profit in healthcare a sort of a, a blanket evil, like something to be opposed, is that 
anything that is that that is risky and requires a lot of investment needs profit right, to, to motivate that investment. And so um, it would it would impact different aspects of the healthcare system differently to, tr- to try to constrain profit as a, as a driver. But certainly in the innovative things like drugs and devices, um, you know, a lack of a lack of. Uh, profit will will lead to a constricting of innovation. Very good. So, Chris, normally at the end of a conversation, we ask a sort of you know funny personal question. I think last time we talked about uh, the novels you've been reading. Uh, this time, um, I'd like to ask a, a bit about the um, the calculator that you've noted on Elizabeth Warren's website for what Medicare for all means for you. What does it mean for you? Uh, Tell me about this calculator. How? What does Medicare for All mean for you, Chris? Yeah. So, um, so Elizabeth Warren helpfully uh, on her on her website in her plan section, where she, where she has a plan for this and a plan for that, um, all paid for using the same pay fors. Uh, she she has a calculator uh, to help you understand the implications of Medicare for All, her Medicare for All plan for for your bottom line. And so the calculator asks you to consider all of the ways that you pay for healthcare in a year. So the, the money that comes out of your paycheck, uh, money that you're putting into an HSA, you know, you, any any sort of copays and deductibles, and plug all of that in. That's the that's the sort of first piece of information. So let's say I spend, you know, ten thousand dollars a year on on healthcare. All right. So I put $10,000 in and then it asks me some other questions about whether or not I've foregone care, things like that. Uh, and then I click calculate and it tells me uh, how much how much money I will now have as a result of Medicare for All. And it turns out I will have $10,000 as a result of Medicare for All. So, uh, so the calculation tells me, yeah, that whatever I put in apparently is just going to go directly into my paycheck, uh, which... Which last last I checked is not actually a calculation, um, but it also isn't consistent with uh, with what she put out in the proposal either. I mean, at, at a minimum, even if my payroll, even if my income went up by ten thousand uh, dollars, she's going. She, she talks about how she's going to tax that. In, you know, so, so right there, it's not exactly ten thousand dollars. I just think it's an absurd calculator. <laughs> Very good. Well, uh, everybody will have to go check out and see see what it means for you. Although I guess Chris just told you how the calculation works. Yeah, one of, uh, one it of just our, saved you saved us all some time. Yeah, one of our team members uh, put in a million dollars, and it turns out Medicare for All is gonna gonna give him a million dollars. So. <laughs> Very good. Well, Chris, thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Tune back in for our next episode, where our experts will provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic issues. Don't forget to subscribe to iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. I'd also encourage you to check out any of the links in our show notes, and also follow us on social media to learn more about AAF.